Welcome to a new episode of Drive Time. Drive Time is where a Michigan Ross faculty member deep dives into one interesting subject in under 10 minutes. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Ethan Cross. I'm a professor of psychology and management at the University of Michigan, and I've spent the past 25 years studying the inner voice. And I want to tell you a little bit about what that inner voice is and try to impress upon you why it really matters in your life. To get us started, let me just tell you how scientists like myself define the inner voice, because it's a phrase that gets thrown around in lots of different ways in popular culture. When I use the term inner voice, what I'm talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. So if you can silently repeat a phrase in your head, that's you using your inner voice. Now it turns out, this inner voice that we possess, this is a remarkable tool of the human mind. It lets us do many amazing things. You can think of it as a kind of Swiss army knife of your brain. Let me just flag for you four of its essential features. One thing your inner voice lets you do is keep verbal information active for really short periods of time. So if you go to a grocery store, and if you're like me, you get you get to the grocery store and about five minutes into the trip, you forget what you were supposed to purchase. And then you think to yourself, oh, what was I supposed to get? And then you repeat the list in your head, apples, bananas, yogurt. You silently repeating those items in your head involves using your inner voice. Your inner voice is part of what we call our verbal working memory system. This is a basic system of the human mind that lets us do something essential. Keep information active for short periods of time. You use that system every single day, multiple times a day, and your inner voice is central to how it works. So that's one thing your inner voice lets you do. Another thing it lets you do is simulate and plan. Before I give a big presentation, before I have a difficult conversation to have with someone else, I will often go over what I'm going to say in my mind. I will walk through the conversation, sometimes even verbatim, to prepare myself for what I'm about to experience. That's me using my inner voice as well. So we use our inner voice to simulate and plan. A third feature that your inner voice serves is it can help you control and motivate yourself. So many people when exercising, and this is true of me as well, they often report talking to themselves, trying to motivate and coach themselves through the experience. When I'm running on a treadmill and I don't want to be running anymore, but I know I have to, I will say things to myself like, come on, man, you could do it. Or I will count down the number of seconds I have left before the exercise drill ends. There is research which shows that athletes who are effective at coaching themselves through difficult meets, difficult games and encounters, those athletes are more successful. They perform better than athletes who don't leverage their inner voice to motivate themselves and control themselves in those ways. So that's another thing your inner voice helps you do, control and motivate yourself. The, the final feature of your inner voice that I'll flag for you is is one that I think in some ways is the most magical. And I mean magical not in a supernatural sense, but more in an awe-inspiring sense. When we experience adversity in life, which we all do at times, what we often do is we stop and we try to make sense of what we're experiencing. Why is this happening to me? What does this mean for how I think about myself and my life? We ask ourselves those questions and we then use our inner voice to answer them. We use our inner voice to to create narratives that help us understand what we are going through 
in this messy world that we live. So we use our inner voice to really shape our understanding of who we are. Our inner voice shapes our, our sense of self, our identity. And that's another feature that it serves for us. So from keeping information active in your head for short periods of time, to simulating and planning, to controlling yourself, to making meaning out of your experiences, your inner voice is a tool that you would not want to live life without. There is a catch to how this tool operates though, and it's probably one that's familiar to most of you who are listening. It certainly is to me at times. And the catch is this, because this tool is so incredibly effective, when we, are, when we experience adversity, we often automatically cling to this tool. We, we reach for our voice to try to make sense of what we're going through, to try to control ourselves and so forth and so on, but it jams up on us. We turn our attention inward to make sense of our circumstances, but we don't come up with clear solutions. And instead, we start ruminating and worrying. We're trying to solve our problems, but we don't make any progress. This is a phenomenon that I call chatter, and it refers to the dark side of our inner voice. Now, I think chatter is one of the big problems we face as a species. I say this not to exaggerate or scare. I say this based on what I know of the data surrounding chatter's negative implications on our lives. If you look at that data, what you find is chatter sinks us in three domains of life that I would I would argue that most of us care a great deal about. Number one, chatter makes it really hard for us to think and perform. It consumes our attention. It makes it really hard for us to, to focus. If you've ever tried reading a book or watching a, a television show when you're worried or ruminating about something, you know how chatter can impair your attention. Right? It takes it away from the things that we often want and need to do. So we can't focus on that book. We can't enjoy the television show or conversation with someone that we care about because our attention is, is, is stuck on the chatter. So we're not actually present in those moments. Chatter can also lead to something called per analysis by paralysis. We overthink things to the point where we can't make decisions, to the point where we, be, we choke under the spotlight. So those are a few of the ways that chatter can sink us from a thinking and performance point of view. We also know that chatter creates friction in our relationships with other people. One of the ways it does this is because when we experience chatter, we often want to talk about it with other people to get help. But one of the, the, the really sad consequences of chatter is that we find people to talk to, but we keep on talking to them over and over and over again. And this has the unfortunate consequence of pushing away people that genuinely care about us. Third thing chatter can do is it can undermine our, our both mental and physical health. When chatter is taken to an extreme, it can lead to experiences of anxiety and depression, but it can also get under our skin to impact our physical health. And the way this works is when we experience a stress reaction, a fight or flight kind of response, there's nothing wrong with that. Stress in small doses is really, really useful. But when our stress response gets triggered, and then remains chronically activated over time. That explains how stress predicts things like problems of cardiovascular disease, inflammation, even certain forms of cancer. Chatter is what explains how that stress response is prolonged. What happens is you experience something overtful stressful, either in the world or in your mind. But you don't then leave that experience behind. You keep thinking about it over and over again. And those repetitive negative thoughts about the experience keep that stress response active in ways that are pretty harmful. Now, when lots of people learn about these negative consequences of chatter, 
their immediate reaction is to is to wonder how can I how can I silence this inner voice? How can I get rid of it? That's not something you want to do because if you think back to just a few minutes ago when we were talking about all of the remarkable features of your inner voice, you don't want to live without that tool. What you want to do instead is learn how to skillfully use that tool to make it work for you rather than against you. So the real challenge we all face is to understand how can you harness that inner voice to free it up to do all the remarkable things it's capable of doing without falling victim to the chatter? That's a question that scientists like myself have spent a lot of time trying to study. The good news is that there are multiple tools out there that you can use. Some of those tools are things you can uh, do on your own, basic ways to shift the way you think about your circumstances that can buffer you against chatter. A couple of examples there are distancing tools, tools that help us step back and reflect on our experiences more objectively. There are lots of ways to do that. Rituals, performing certain kinds of repetitive meaning-infused behaviors can be a useful tool there as well. Expressive writing, the list goes on and on and we'll give you some directions on where to find more tools uh, at the end of this recording. But there are also ways of interacting with other people that can be useful. Finding the right people in your life who are skilled at not just providing you with emotional support, but additionally, people who are skilled at broadening your perspective. They can be a valuable asset when it comes to managing your chatter. And finally, there are tools in your physical environment as well that can be useful for managing chatter. Enhancing your exposure to green spaces, seeking out awe-inspiring experiences, creating order in your environment. These are all different tools that have been shown, according to scientists, to be quite effective at improving people's experiences, negotiating with a with an aversive inner voice. The big picture take home here is that there are no one size fits all solutions when it comes to managing your inner voice. There are lots and lots of tools out there and we know that different combinations of tools work for different people in different situations. So the real challenge here is if you're interested in these concepts is familiarize yourself with the tools that are out there and then try, try experimenting with those tools. Try to figure out which are the tools that work best for you in the different situations you encounter. Do that self-experimentation. If the tool works, keep using it. If it doesn't, go on to another tool. Thanks for taking some time to listen to me. Stay tuned to listen to more quick tips on the topics of management, leadership, organizational behavior, and business by the Michigan Ross faculty.